This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Imagine being talked out of starting a promising business with waiting customers all because of the crushing costs of regulatory compliance. Now imagine opening that business and showing state lawmakers that many of those regulations weren't really needed after all. It's called the Regulatory Sandbox, and it's now underway in Utah. Connor Boyack of the Libertas Institute explains how it works. When Uber and Lyft arrived on the scene, uh, they were operating in many cities in flagrant violation of states, state laws, yeah. uh, city ordinances, uh, and that's one way to do things mm-hmm. uh, and developed a constituency for their services pretty quickly. And when DC went to go write the regulations for it, all the people who were writing the regulations were already customers. So in Utah has this uh, innovative way of dealing with those kinds of people who arrive on the scene with a product or a service and uh, allows them the grace to continue without uh, being immediately have without immediately having the hammer come down on them. That's right. And and Uber, they actually had a playbook. I mean, this was part of their strategy. Go break the law. They paid and left as well. They would pay, in our case, in Salt Lake City, there were drivers being ticketed $6,500 just for driving people around until they had enough of a constituency, as you point out, where they could then go to the city council, get the law changed. Uber could do that. Lyft could do that. Why? Because they had money. Let me tell you a story about Alex. Alex is in Utah. He's a friend of mine. He invested his life savings into a new company that he set up dealing with kind of car maintenance. What they were trying to do is he said, look, a lot of people, when they have to replace their engine or a transmission, it's a ton of money. What if they could contribute to a fund, pay a little bit every month, and then when they had a big expense, they could then draw down on those funds and get the support that they needed. He goes to the insurance department. They're like, yeah, no, that's not insurance. You're fine to do that. He goes, he builds his company. One to two years later, quarter million dollars, no complaints, no lawsuits, no problems. It's working great. People love it. Insurance department comes back and they say, well, actually, you're insurance. You need to shut down. Unlike Uber and Lyft, Alex didn't have money for lawyers and lobbyists. He, he lost his life savings. So this new program, this regulatory sandbox is really about the little guy. It's about saying, People who are creative and innovative, we should be welcoming that. And rather than punishing them, we should embrace their innovation. We should create a basically a legal safe space in which they can continue to develop their company while the legislature catches up. Let's not punish innovation and then let the legislature catch up and legalize the innovation. Let's instead ha- hit the pause button on these arcane and outdated laws and regulations so that the legislature can catch up and we can let innovators continue to move forward. Yeah, I can see that there's a powerful upside to that uh, in that there are a lot of states where a business, you'll never hear about it. You'll never know about it. Right. You'll never have an opportunity to take advantage of it. No, no matter how helpful or useful or money-saving it might be to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because those guys never get off the ground. Totally. And uh, so what brought this about in Utah? What, what, what's, this, what's the sales pitch for a lawmaker who maybe has uh, oh, yeah. generous contributions from the hospital <laughs> association, from, the, uh, from various interest groups in the state? There's a lot of interest groups that would care about this. I, I want to, the history is really interesting. The United States has fallen behind when it comes to entrepreneurship and innovation. 
we're no longer the, the pro-business leading country in the world at all. So it was actually in the UK where they came up with this idea of a regulatory sandbox in the fintech, financial technology space. And then Arizona in the executive branch a couple of years ago, they said, hey, we should do that. Utah quickly followed. But what our teams, and we were involved in that fintech effort, but what we identified was an opportunity to not have this just be in the fin financial technology industry. Our team said, we want Utah to be the first state in the country to have a regulatory sandbox for any industry. And then we want to help other states do this as well with the eventual goal of getting a federal regulatory sandbox where that's where a lot of the regulatory problems are for businesses. Now, you ask about um, what is the sales pitch to a policymaker? How did we get this done in Utah? It was actually really interesting. Think of these battles when they happen. Think of the Uber and the Lyft or my friend Alex. You have the lobbyists for the incumbents who share their doom and gloom. Oh, if this is legal, all of these things will happen. And then you've got you know either a little guy with no lobbyists or you've got a Tesla or an Uber and Lyft that have lobbyists. Now you're a legislator. You're caught in the middle of these, this war of ideas between these lobbyists, these claims for which there's no data because no one knows if we were to deregulate, if we were to change this law, what would that look like? There's no data. So legislators are caught in the middle of all of these claims being made about the you know, downside or the upside. What's nice about a regulatory sandbox is because we've created a one to two year safe space in which this company can operate by shielding or suspending that law or regulation, suddenly on the other side of that, two years later, a lawmaker can look and say, all right, we now operated for two years without that law being applied. Were there any problems, any complaints, any lawsuits, any downside? Suddenly as a lawmaker, you can make an informed decision about whether to make permanent that suspension of the law or terminate it and say, no, we need that regulation. So our lawmakers loved it because we told them, guys, you hate flying blind. Here's an opportunity to give you more information as we move forward. That in Utah just loves to be like first in the country for business and, you know, pro entrepreneur. And so it fit our brand. But as we now talk to other states, that message about data-driven policymaking is resonating very strongly and in a bipartisan way. Ours passed unanimously. So this is not just a Republican thing. Yeah, there are a whole host of businesses that have impacts potentially on public health and safety. Uh, but there are often clear guidelines for how to open a restaurant or a food truck. Uh, for the types of businesses that you're talking about, it's not at all clear that they impact health and safety at all. That's right. Yeah, this sandbox does not apply if, you know, if Elon Musk was like, hey, for my self-driving cars, I want to be shielded from the law requiring people to stop at red lights. Like, that's just not going to happen in a regulatory sandbox. But in our state, in Utah, as with many others, it was illegal for Tesla to sell cars. Why? Because the car dealerships over the years had crafted the laws saying, oh, you must only sell cars through car dealerships. That would be a law that would be eligible for the sandbox because it doesn't have to do with health or safety. Utah also became the first state to have a sandbox in the legal services industry. Our courts set this up and they've had over three dozen companies come into the sandbox, finding opportunities to say, hey, if you guys would waive or suspend that court rule or that regulation, we could do it this you know, legal service in this creative way. And it's been amazing in terms of reducing costs, better serving customers. And so we're very excited. Uh, we're just on the cusp of this program launching fully in Utah after the, the law passed. It takes a little while to set up. But now Libertas is helping groups, SPN think tanks, policymakers all across the country because we want to see America be number one again for innovation and business and entrepreneurship. We're not. 
And we think the regulatory sandbox could be a way to get us back there. And it, and it identifies very clearly regulation that is suspect. It's funny you ask that, Caleb, because I've been part of regulatory reviews before where legislators sit around a committee room and they say, oh, I campaigned on cutting red tape. Let's look in the regulatory code. What should we do? And crickets. Like, how do you know what to go after? This aligns incentives because now suddenly it's the business owners who can raise their hand and say, I know a regulation. I have a self-interest in having that regulation suspended. So now there's a process for them to self-identify. And now the policymakers who all want to cut red tape in at least a red Republican state have uh, examples. They have instances rather than them sitting around a room looking through thousands of pages of code. So it's actually been helpful in that regard. Plenty of lefties want to cut regulation too. This is about economic empowerment as the, again, the little guy, as much as it is the right leaning, cutting the red tape. Again, ours was unanimous. The Democrats loved it. They saw this as helping the little guy come up the ladder and navigate all these regulations uh, by assuring them it wasn't about health or safety, that those were taken off the table. We, we won them over. So we think even in the blue states, we're going to see a lot of success with this model. Connor Boyack is president of the Libertas Institute in Utah. We spoke last month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.